Hello, friends, and thanks again for joining us today for the Hillcrest Covenant Church podcast. This week, Pastor Jen Zerby started a new shorter series called What's in Your House? This first Sunday touches on where do you choose to spend your time? Remember, you can watch our live stream on YouTube that happens Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., or you can find us online at hillcrestdecalb.com. Grace and peace, friends. This pandemic has changed a lot of things, hasn't it? In fact, I guess, I guess we're probably not really going to know for sure all of the things that the pandemic has changed until we are... I don't know, several years on the other side of it, I suppose, until we can really see how things have played out. But even from what we know so far, a lot has changed. Lots of, uh, of those larger corporations have, have sold off or are in the process of selling off those giant office buildings because they've realized that they can function with a lot of their employees working from home now. I was going to give you statistics on this, but the stats are all over the place on how many small businesses we actually lost but it's a heartbreaking number. We have shortages on just about everything. But you know who made a killing during the pandemic? Home Depot. Now, I personally prefer Menards, but Home Depot is statistically the most popular home improvement store in the US, so I have to use them as the example. I like Menards better, but it's fine. Do you know that in the last quarter, just in the last quarter of 2020, Home Depot made $110.2 billion. In the last quarter of 2020, they made $12 billion more than they made the entire fiscal year before that. Isn't that wild? It's estimated that over 50% of American households spent at least $15,000 on home improvements or home repairs in 2021. And by 2021, the cost of everything had gone up. So if, if you were smart enough to get it on the home improvement in 2020, that was really the way to go. But it makes sense, right? In, in spring of 2020, the world told everybody to go home and to stay home right? And the, the discontented, busy bees that we are all got home, and we stared at our walls for roughly five minutes, and then decided we need to change everything immediately, right? And so we began to replace flooring, and we remodeled a bathroom here, and we remodeled a kitchen there, and we repainted and replaced and refurnished, or we tried to refurnish. I think the current wait time for furniture is like 62 lifetimes, but it's all understandable, right? If, if we're going to be in our homes more, we're going to be working from home now, we want our homes to be homey and functional and beautiful. We want to look out windows at pretty landscaping, and we want to sit in furniture that's comfortable. Or maybe we want our homes to be uh, eco-friendly or technologically savvy. Whatever the case may be, we want our homes to be somehow a reflection of ourselves and the things that we care about. And that's the beauty of our homes. Even in cookie-cutter neighborhoods, that's what my custom home builder father used to call them, cookie-cutter neighborhoods, where all the houses look the exact same. Even in those neighborhoods, every single one of them is a different experience the moment you walk inside one of them. Even if you walked into homes during 
any particular trend. Remember when everybody in the whole world shiplapped everything in their house, right? So even if you walked into homes where everything was shiplapped, all the houses are still going to be different based on the people who live there. So I took a picture of one little corner of my house for you. So in this picture, pay no attention to the picture of Duncan dressed like a diplomat, it's fine. <laughs> it's really one of my favorite things that I own. It was a gift from Sophie and I, I laughed so hard when I got it, I had to hang it on my wall, but that aside. So in this picture, you're gonna see things that are completely unique to my house that nobody else in all of the world has and then there are some other things in there that, that probably 12 trillion people have. <laughs> For instance, the next picture, this first piece of furniture here, it's called an apothecary. You may find something that looks like that, but my dad hand-built every single piece of that. And so there, I know he's real impressive. I can't make anything. Uh, so there's nothing like that in all of the world. There's nothing like that. But if you look at the map that's above that, that's from Hobby Lobby. <laughs> Some of you probably have that map hanging in your house right now. If you go to the next one, the painting to the right, my grandfather painted that. My dad's, I seriously, the talent just like, grandfather, dad, and then it was like, <laughs> too bad. Um, but my grandfather painted that, and so there isn't anything else like that in the whole entire world, but the chair that's below that, that's from Kohl's. <laughs> the book that's on the end table there, that's a, a 1989 copy of Little Women. I, don't, I tried to look. I don't know. There were thousands, thousands and thousands and thousands of that, of that book copied in 1989. But nobody has that one because on the inside cover of that one is a note to me when I was a little girl from my great Aunt Jane. So nobody else in all the world has that one. And then finally, the last one, those tiles that spell out my last name, those were a gift, so I actually don't know where those came from. I'm sure tons of people probably have those tiles in their home. But as of the last um, US census, there were only 807 Zerbies in the United States. So I'm guessing the likelihood of somebody else having those particular tiles in that particular arrangement, it's, it's not, probably not very high, right? <laughs> so we could do that with each of our homes, right? And we would find the same thing to be true. I could walk into any one of your homes and there are probably things in there that you would find from Target or some big box furniture store, right? And then there are other things in your home that are completely unique to you. A family heirloom or something that you made, something that nobody else in all of the world is ever going to possess. Well, this morning we are kicking off a brand new sermon series that we're calling What's in Your House? You see, we're all, we're all kind of funny about our homes. Some of you are really proud of your house and you love to welcome other people to it. Some of you maybe get embarrassed. You think your apartment or your house is too small or too old or too dark or too dingy. All you can think about are all the projects that still need to be done and so maybe you don't really like to have people over. Some of us think that our houses are fine depending on who it is that's coming over to the house. Yeah, okay, I knew you'd all get what I meant by that. I appreciate that. The quickest way to destroy something that typically brings you joy is to compare it to something else, right? You thought your home was perfectly lovely until Mr. Jones was coming over, and you know that Mr. Jones has a 10,000-square-foot house and a staff of people 
to keep his house clean, and then suddenly your perfectly lovely home feels like a dump, right? This is what we do. These are the things that we tell ourselves about our homes, and these are the things that we tell ourselves about ourselves. Our homes contain this this hodgepodge of things that we have, that other people have, and things that are unique to us, and so do we. We contain things that other people have, and we possess some things that are completely unique just to us that no one else in all of the world has. And the interesting thing is that regardless of what we do and do not possess, and regardless of what we think or feel about what we do and do not possess, God's call upon each of our lives is the same. Use what you have. Use what you have. John 15 says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may bear fruit, fruit that will last. 1 Peter 4 says, each of you should use whatever gift you have, whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. 1 Corinthians 7, 17 says, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. And so we're going to spend the next three weeks here talking about how we use what God has given to us. And there are three things in particular that, that we have all been gifted with. Some of them are similar, and in some ways they're unique to who we are. And those three things are time, talent, and treasure. And I want to clarify here that this pertains to you whether you've been coming to church for 60 years or if this is literally the first Sunday you have ever stepped foot in a church. Every last one of us was created by God in the image of God to love and serve God with everything we have been given. And whether you are one of those people who is overly proud about your house or ashamed of your house, whether you feel blessed by what you have or resentful of what you don't have, whether you feel like you have so much to give or you're ashamed and feeling like you have nothing to offer. The crazy part about this whole situation is that our opinions and our thoughts and our feelings, none of that changed the reality that we were all created with something to give and that we were all created to give it. And so this morning we're going to talk about uh, first about the thing that is most elusive of the three, which is time. I was in a choir once. Well, that was, that was just rude, Pastor Bill. It was deeply offensive. In my mind, when I'm in the car, I sing just like Kara. So that's... That's fine. <laughs> when, I went to, when I went to Bible college, we were there. It was a one-year program, and there were 88 people, 44 men, 44 women, and we were the choir. We were forced. We were forced to be in a choir, and I wasn't even the worst singer in there. I mean, I was probably close, I'm sure, but, but we all had to sing. And, and we graduated from Bible college just a couple of years after the musical Rent came out, And so for one of our graduation songs, we sang the song Seasons of Love. Do you remember that song? Seasons of Love is where the whole entire world learned how many minutes there are in a year. How many minutes are there? 
525,600 minutes, right? That's, how, that's what we all learned in that song. And the song asks, how do you measure a year? Do you measure a year in sunsets, in midnights, in cups of coffee, in inches, in miles, in laughter, in strife? I'm not singing that for you, you'll notice. You're welcome. <laughs> So we sang that song, and the 88 of us had just spent this whole like super intense year together, so our choir could barely get through that song without crying all the way through it, because the year went by so quickly. It went by so quickly, and we could not believe that the year was over. But if you offer that same amount of time to someone who's going through cancer treatments, or someone who's grieving the loss of a loved one, a year feels like a very different situation. Yes, there are 525,600 minutes in a year, and yet somehow time feels so subjective to us. We're taught early on, usually in school, that we're supposed to use our time, what? Wisely. We're supposed to use our time wisely. We learn this early on in those moments, for instance, when your teacher gives you 20 minutes at the end of class, and you're The idea is that you're supposed to spend those 20 minutes finishing your homework. And so you can spend those 20 minutes knocking out your homework so that you don't have homework all weekend, or you can goof off with your friends for those 20 minutes, right? So many of us struggled then and struggle now to use our time wisely. It's actually shocking that we struggle so much to use our time wisely given how much of our times, how much of our life has to do with time management. Some of us are pretty good at time management. This week, uh, I was texting with my oldest nephew. He transferred uh, over to Judson University this year, and I was texting him on his first day of school, which happened to be his 20th birthday, which I can't even handle. And he was stuck in traffic, and so he texted me that he was stuck in traffic. And I I said, are you gonna be late? And he sent me that emoji, like the crazy face emoji, and he said, of course not, I'm gonna be a half hour early. Like, hello, we have the same last name. Zerbies don't know how to be late. Like, we, we, don't know, I, we don't know how to be late. It's not possible. We can't do it. But managing your time, managing your time is different than knowing what to spend your time on, right? Time management is different than knowing what to spend your time on. We treat time like it's subjective when it's not. We treat time like it's infinite when it's not, and we treat time like it's promised, which it's not. Every once in a while, somebody will post that, that picture on Facebook. It's usually with the super cute font and a super cute background and says, today is a gift, and that's why it's called the present. And we read that, and for two seconds, we're like, yeah, today is a gift. I'm going to treat today like a gift. And then there's like some idiot in front of us on the way home from work and we get home and we're busy and we realize we have four loads of laundry to do and dinner hasn't been made and it's like two seconds later, right, in our minds where we've completely forgotten that, that this, this is a gift, right? The present is a gift. That's how our lives work. But I think that there is a different way that we could potentially look at time. In fact, in the Greek language, there are two completely different ways of looking at time. In scripture, there are two completely different ways of looking at time. You see, there are two separate Greek words that mean time. One is chronos, C-H-R-O-N-O-S, and one is kairos, K-A-I-R-O-S. 
Chronos may sound familiar to you because it's where we get the word chronological, right? The word is talking about kind of an ordered sequential time. It's talking about a quantity of time. This is how we know how much time there is so that we know how to plan out our daily schedule. This measurement of time was ordained by God at the very beginning. We see it in creation in the, in the story in Genesis where, where God made day and night or where God spun the heavenly lights for seasons and for days and for years. <clears throat> Chronos is the kind of time that we are used to. It's the kind of time that we live by. It's the kind of time that we fill up, and it's the kind of time that we waste. We live in a Kronos kind of world. But I want us to look real quick at our text for this morning, which comes to us from Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 16. And it says this, Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you look at other translations of this particular verse, there's a word that's, that's different in most of the other translations. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. That's the same. Making the best of the time, not the opportunity. Making the best of the time, because the days are evil. Well, that word for time is not the Greek word chronos. It is the Greek word Kairos. And Kairos refers to a period, not, not to a quantity of time, but to quality of time. Kairos can mean a, a single moment or a period of time that has great significance. So if you're watching a, a baseball game, for instance, there's a difference between saying there's one inning left and saying that we're at the bottom of the ninth with the bases loaded, right? One is a quantity of time. One is a quality of time. Something else is going on when you're at the bottom of the ninth and the bases are loaded. It means something more significant, right? Kairos is also described as a point or period of fixed time, which demands a response. And so this could refer to those moments in life when you're making some kind of life-altering decision. Kairos is related to the Greek word kara, which means head, And so kairos is a time period where things come to a head, where things require a decisive action. Kairos is the kind of time that should cause us to pause and respond. It's it's purposed time. Purposed time. And so if you're honest with yourself, how much of your time would you say is purposed time? Now, we don't tend to be people who live in the middle very often. We tend to be people who are either too busy or we're not busy enough. Our schedules are so packed that we can't even finish what's on our list. Or we are bored and we're restless because we don't know how to sit still. Right? So many of us have only two speeds. We go a mile a minute and then we also binge watch a show for an entire day on the couch. Right? We don't navigate time very well in our culture. Let's go back to that passage from Ephesians 5. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. It goes on to say, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So Paul is the author of this particular text, and when he uses the word carefully here, 
He's telling us to look carefully how we walk. He's telling us to walk in a manner that is exact and precise. He's talking about the importance of followers of Jesus paying attention to the little details. So that, that this life with Jesus, it's not just about, about setting big goals. It's not just about saying, I want to be a good person. I want to be a kind person. I want to be a compassionate person. I want to be a generous person. I want to be more like Jesus. These are, all, these are all great things, right? These are all things that we should strive for if we want to follow Jesus. But if we want to follow Jesus, we also need to be people who follow Kairos time, which means that we're paying attention to the precise detail of every step that we take. Because the truth is that it takes a lot of really intentional steps to become a kind person. And it takes a lot of really intentional steps to become a generous person. We don't just wake up one day and we're generous. We don't just wake up one day and we are compassionate. Our steps toward that have to be purposeful. How many of you were here in church last week? I'm not grading you. I'm just asking for a particular reason. I promise. If you were here last week, you probably noticed that you walked through the parking lot today very differently than you walked through the parking lot last week, right? Today, you probably got out of the car. You were talking to somebody. Maybe you were looking at your cell phone as you walked. You didn't even know how you got to the door. But last week, our parking lot was covered in ice, Right, And so for those of you who dared to come out at all, you had to walk like a penguin, right? where you're doing those like little shuffles, and you have to watch every single step that you take the whole way in. If you had looked at your cell phone while you were walking last week, you probably are not walking today. Right? If we, if we want to live this life according to God's time, that, that Kairos time, our call is to pay attention to every step that we're taking as if we're walking on ice. Every step is a calculated decision. Every step is a precise move in exactly the direction we want to be walking. Can you imagine living life with that kind of intentionality? It means we never let other people dictate our time. And I know those of you who work are like, "Uh, clearly you don't have a boss. I'm not saying that we don't still live in a Kronos world. I'm saying that we are called to live in a Kronos world with a Kairos heart. Most of us can't change the fact that we work Monday through Friday from eight to five or whatever your particular work schedule looks like. Most of us can't change the fact that we are responsible for getting a particular number or type of tasks done in the scheduled hours that we have, right? But that does not mean that you can't work every minute of that time with precision and intention. You choose the attitude you have when you're working, don't you? You choose whether you're going to see your job as an act of worship or not. You choose whether you're going to invest in the actual people who work with you for the sake of Christ or whether you're going to let all of those relationship opportunities pass you by because you're not there to make friends. You choose whether you see your day as a gift, as an opportunity to serve God, or as something that's frivolous, that can be wasted at your own discretion. There was this verse that I mentioned a couple weeks ago over and over and over again, and it comes from the Psalms, and it says, teach us to number our days, Lord, that we might gain a heart of wisdom. 
And when we talked about that a couple weeks ago, we focused more on, on the wisdom part, that numbering our, day, numbering our days leads to wisdom. And I, I very much believe that to be true, but there is also some accountability in that verse, isn't there? We are accountable to God for the way that we both use and waste our time. We don't know how much of it we have, but I guarantee that we all make assumptions as if we're promised a certain amount of time. Most of us walk through our days with such carelessness that we clearly all assume that we have thousands more behind it, or in front of it, I should say, but we aren't even so much as promised our very next breath. Do you think about being held accountable to God for your time? I know that can feel like a daunting thought, but it could also, it could also be a really freeing thought. There's an author by the name of G. Porter Taylor, and he said that worship of God, worship of God redeems the time. It orients the person to the Almighty and keeps his or her life in right relation. And then in response to that quote, there's another author named Elizabeth Milford who said that worship here, of course, she's using these terms as well. It's not about a chronos understanding of one hour on a Sunday morning. It's about a kairos understanding of time as we seek to fill our lives with an awareness of the holy so that we might be filled by the Spirit to the point where not just our voices sing, but our entire hearts take part in the melody. She says, when we live in this way, we are truly embracing our vocational calling from God, which of course has implications for how we spend our time. And our lives become marked not by seconds, minutes, hours, days, or years, but by a sense of God's ongoing purpose in our lives and in the world and our active participation in it. And that's what Paul is trying to get at in this passage in Ephesians. He's trying to get us to see time differently, to view time not through the lens of the world around us, but through God's lens, the one who gifted us the time to begin with. <coughs> Excuse me. Our time is not meant to be filled. Our time is not meant to be wasted. Our time is meant to be invested. And it's meant to be invested in the things that matter to God. Our time is meant to be invested in ways that share hope, that bring life, that spread good news. And look, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'll be the last, I'm not here to tell you that you can't watch your favorite TV show. And I'm not here to tell you that every second of your entire day has to be spent with your nose in the Bible. But overall, is your time invested in the things that matter beyond this life? I listened to, to an incredible sermon this past week. I highly recommend it if you're a podcast listener or a sermon listener. It was by a pastor named John Tyson. And I, I have to admit, I don't know anything about this church or this pastor, so that's my warning ahead of time. I don't know anything about what they do or what they believe, but this sermon was so good. His name is John Tyson. He pastors uh, Church of the City in New York. And he was using the story of Zacchaeus this week to talk about our own priorities in this life. And he, does some, he did something that you rarely hear pastors do, especially pastors of a church as large as his. He mentions that, um, I, should, I should have gone back to look at it, but there, he mentions however many thousands of people go to his church. And then he mentions that there are over 10,000 people who listen to their podcast each week. 
We had like 54 a couple weeks ago, and I was like, whoa, look at us. He has tens of thousands who listen to his sermon every single week. And then he mentioned that that their particular campus has a yearly budget of $4 million. And then he said, do you know how many baptisms we had here last year? And it was that quiet. He said nine. And you could hear a pin drop. And I give him so much credit for so many things that he said in this sermon. And I give him credit, first of all, for the fact that he never, he never ends up giving some kind of predetermined number of baptisms that a church that large should have in any given year. But as he says, it's more than nine. And then he preaches this fantastic sermon about our priorities and, and how we use our time and how, how even a church is as quote unquote successful as they are that does so many things well that maybe they're not utilizing their time the way that they should be, that maybe their priorities are a little mixed up. I'm not gonna lie here this morning. It is very hard. It is very hard to live in a Kronos world with a Kairos heart. It is hard not to get swallowed up by the busyness or the restlessness of this world. It is hard to focus our attention and our priorities on the things of God when nobody else around us is doing that. And when there is just so much of that practically speaking, so much that just has to get done in a day, practically speaking, right? But friends, this time is not ours. It's not ours. We did not create it. We do not deserve it. We cannot earn it. This moment and the next, if we're lucky enough to have one, are a pure gift. And every moment that we spend saying thank you is a moment spent the way that God intended. We're not all in this room going to be given the same number of days. But every moment we are given is an opportunity to bring the things of God to a world in need. Every moment that we are given is a chance to bring mercy and inclusivity and compassion and love and a hot meal and a warm touch and ultimately the hope that is only found in Jesus Christ. This life is so short, and it's all we get. Yes, God gave us the freedom to do with our moments whatever we please, but we were created to use our moments for the things that matter to God. It takes great intention, like walking on ice, paying attention to every step you take to make sure that it's leading you toward your priority of spending time on the things that matter to God. But just one moment, just one moment of intentional living could change a person's life, both here and now and forever, which means that every single moment matters. Most of us are not going to get one of those, um, those racing flags, those white flags that tells us that this is going to be our last lap around the sun. And so our job is to use our time wisely and eternally. Let's pray together. 
God, I know that probably everybody in here has heard some kind of message, whether in church or outside of the church, about using our time wisely, that life is short. We only get this one chance. We've all heard this all before. I know we have. And I know that it's really easy for us to get super hyped up in that moment or to feel really convicted in that moment and to to think about all the ways that we waste our time and to commit in this moment to not wasting our time anymore. And then we go back out into the world and by Monday morning, Lord, our lives are swallowed back up in our schedule and our lives and our, our chaos. And so God, I pray this morning that you would speak to our hearts to let us know, to remind us, to teach us that there are two different ways of looking at time. One of them belongs to you. You ordained them both, but one of them is the way for which you created us to live. And so God, I pray that you would help us to live in this Kronos world with a Kairos heart. That you would help us to know what it means to number our days. That you would help us to know, Lord, what it, what it means to recognize that every moment is significant. And that every moment could have eternal value. That every time we have the opportunity to speak to another person, we in that moment are given an opportunity to share things that matter to you. God, help us not to waste our time. Help us not just to spend our time. Help us to invest our time wisely in the things that are eternal. Help us, Lord, to reflect your characteristics in this world. That in this next moment, if we're so lucky to have it, we would choose love. We would choose compassion. We would choose mercy that someone else, Lord, might come to know about your hope because of how we spent our one moment. And so, Lord, we thank you for the time that we have, however long or short it is, for it is all a gift. In Jesus' name we pray.